know, God encouraged the heart of people to work. So they did. Their motivation came from God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We learned something from Haggai today. It's very interesting. We're going to talk about that in five minutes. And, uh, and as we do, let's pay attention. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at Haggai chapter two and what it has to do with signet seals. Ryan? Today, I'm going to be giving an introduction to the book of Haggai from our Quick Study Bible. All right, this is going to be a fascinating day on this particular topic. Janice, what'd you do? I couldn't decide on a title. It was like, consider our ways, building our lives, building on the rock. So let's see what happens in about 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. So take your Bible guide out, turn to today's passage. It is a good one. Haggai 1, and we're going to study this and listen to what God has spoken to us through his word. Let's study. Haggai 1, 1 through 15. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that is the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Haggai 1 and 2. What a great passage of Scripture. We're continuing to go through the Bible as we come upon the New Testament. We're in the book of the 12, as they call it, and that is the book of Haggai. And Haggai lived in the time after the Babylonian exile. It was a time in which the people of God had forgotten their priorities. Sound familiar? They had returned to Jerusalem from exile under the direction of the Persian king Cyrus. Their assignment was to refurbish the city, rebuild the temple, and make it a place of worship before the Lord once again. But instead, the people became discouraged and had abandoned their temple project. And Haggai gains insight from the Lord to explain why they were struggling to maintaining a comfortable living in the land. The Lord was not blessing the work of the people because they were only focused on their own selfish success. Haggai's challenge was to encourage and to motivate the people living in Jerusalem to get their minds off of their own comforts and honor God by rebuilding his temple first. The question is, would they take it easy, take the easy way out, or would they follow God's ways? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? The message of Haggai would later echo through the words of Jesus the Christ to his disciples. He said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. You know, this is interesting because at a time when they finished the exile and they had come back. Cyrus had said, yes, go back and rebuild and all that. You wouldn't think they'd need another prophet, but they do. Actually, there's several prophets. And it's important for us to hear that we often get discouraged. What does God say to that? We're going to find out as we look at building God's house in Haggai 1, 1 to 15. Take your Bible guide, turn to there. If you don't have one, call or write or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You can download it there after you give. And let me just say thank you for your donations. They are wonderful in this time. And may God help us. Father, speak to the people and teach them your ways and show them your path. But help them, Lord, as they decide to give correctly to whatever the word or wherever they get the word. And this is the place where we try to give them the word. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we need to pray and ask God to help us see his word, because if we don't pray before we read the Bible, there's a very good chance we'll misread it. So, Father, help us read the Bible. Help us to see what you've told us and how it goes forward in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, here we go. Haggai's a really good guy, and it's a very interesting prophecy. Let's take a look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, 
and Joshua, the son of Jehoiadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Well, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, <laughs> saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. The one point, Haggai speaks to the governor and the high priest of Jerusalem. And he says, God's priorities need to be important. God's priorities should be first and foremost in the life of every Christ follower. Okay, what is God's priority? Is his priority for me to get rich and have the American dream or the Canadian dream or the dream of Britain or the dream of Australia or the whatever dream. God's desires in his word and his word says we need to learn to love people and tell them about Jesus Christ who has come and teach them those things. That's God's priority. Very important. Let's not get off on some weird thing. Let's keep intact the priorities of God. Very important. All right, Haggai 1, 7 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood, build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came too little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above, you will withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called a drought on the land and the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Wow, the people were told to consider their ways. You see, the Lord's priorities affect our purpose and followers is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Did you hear what the Lord did? Did you hear what he did? God said, that's it, man. You're not going to, you're going to work as hard as you want, but it's not going to produce for you because I'm shutting it down until you get my priorities straight. And let me say something that as Christians, as believers, we need to turn our lives to God and allow him to be our source. God is our source, not the government. God is our source, not our boss. God is our source, not our business. So keep that in mind. Very important. Those other things, very important. But it is God who is our source. All right. Chapter 1, verse 12 to 15. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord 
Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke out the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius, this happened. Now, keep this in mind. God stirred the hearts of the people to work. True transformation comes to us through the Holy Spirit who stirs our hearts. When we come to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins to transform our hearts. Beloved, there is nothing better than that happens. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Today, you and I are going to be focusing in on Haggai chapter two, because there's a really interesting thing that God does through the prophet here, where he speaks directly to the descendant of David, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who is ruling as the governor of Judah at this point in time. This is after the exile. But he specifically uh, tells him that in the future, he says, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. First, let's take a look at signet seals and signet rings, and then we're going to uh, discuss the significance here in Haggai. In the times of the Bible, documents like peace treaties, sale of land certificates, business transactions, adoptions, marriages, and the like were authenticated using the ancient version of the signature, the seal. Ancient seals as we know them came in two forms, the signet or stamp type and the cylinder type. They were used to impress wet clay in any form by either stamping or rolling. Seals were miniature works of art that ranged from half to one and a half inches tall and were painstakingly carved from stone, though there are examples of glass, bone, and precious metal seals. The artists that dared to create them not only had to work in reverse for the seal to impress properly, each seal had to be unique, distinct enough to serve as a recognizable signature for its owner, as individual as the person themselves. The material or stone type that was chosen may also have had meaning, with a certain kind of stone being chosen for a perceived benefit or property. Seal artists also utilized individuality in the stones themselves to make their work stand out. There are examples of seal designs incorporating marks, splashes of color, and lines naturally occurring in the stone to enhance the seal's appeal. These signatures were worn in several ways. Signet types were often mounted in a ring and were either worn on the finger or hung on a necklace. Cylinder seals had a hole drilled through their center like a bead through which a mounting pin would be placed so that it could be worn in a few different fashions, most commonly in a necklace, bracelet, or on a clothing pin. 
Thousands of seals and seal impressions have been found from antiquity. It's believed that the oldest seal ever found is a signet type from the 6th millennium BC. Cylinder seals were in popular use in Mesopotamia from around 3400 to 400 BC, 3,000 years of prominence eventually put to rest by writing materials. Clay as a writing material was slowly replaced by papyrus paper, which would be bound and sealed with a lump of clay that was easiest to stamp. Within the heyday of the cylinder seal, however, signet seals were also in use, especially important for the Bible during the first millennium BC, the time of the kings. Seals appear in many biblical passages, most often reflecting their general use of giving someone's authority to a transaction or document but also sometimes in symbolism. Famously, in the Song of Solomon, the female speaker asks to be placed like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. This verse seems to reflect the practice of seals being buried with their owners. As seals represented the essence of their owners, they were common grave goods. So the love of the romantics in the song went beyond the here and now, into the next life. So now that we understand the, the usage and the importance of signet seals and, and, and the authority of the individual that they carried, I think we can appreciate more fully what God is saying here to Zerubbabel, that Zerubbabel will be uh, associated with the very authority of God. And what this is doing is it's reestablishing the Davidic covenant of the Messiah. So uh, back in Jeremiah chapter 22, uh, God speaks to King Jehoiachin, uh, who was, uh, you know, a descendant of David on the throne of Jerusalem. And he says to him in Jeremiah chapter 22, even if you were a signet seal on my right hand, I would pull you off and I would throw you away. So this was God's decommissioning of the Davidic covenant, of the Davidic line. They were in exile. The messianic hope was put on pause. It was there, but what were they going to do? The Davidic line had been kind of decommissioned. So now here at the end of Haggai, where God speaks specifically to this descendant of David, to Zerubbabel, now he's reestablishing the Davidic covenant through Zerubbabel. So the, the Messiah is going to come through the line of David, specifically through uh, Zerubbabel, uh, because he says to him, I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. So there's this really amazing um continuation, reestablishment of the Davidic covenant here after the exile and after the building of the second temple. And this is the time really when you want to go back in history, you look at the historical part, this is Ezra and Nehemiah time. This yes. is the time of the return. Yep. And so these are the prophets, the book of the 12, the prophets around that. Haggai is one of them. Uh, and I think that's very important. But at the beginning of the kingdom, the first king was selected and his name was Saul. Indeed. And we thought he would be a good one, but he wasn't. Tell he, us about it. He was not a good one, but he was chosen for a very specific purpose. He was chosen by God as the first king of Israel. And we discuss all of the things about him in this six-week Bible study, this six-part Bible study called Understanding Saul. If you would like to get a hold of it, uh, you can write to us, call us, go on our website and order either a physical copy or even down. Uh, there's, it's available in digital download. So if you'd like 
like to know more about it and if you would like to order it, go onto our website. It's for available for a suggested donation of $60 to the ministry. Okay, so that's, that's interesting and fascinating. Excellent, Corey. Uh, and I would recommend that you get that, absolutely. Ryan, go for it. All right, well, in lieu of a segment today, I wanted to read from the Quick Study Bible, which of course was the notes were written by my grandfather. And uh, I wanted to give his introduction on Haggai. Now, if you have your own copy, uh, turn to page 1186, because that's where I'm reading from. And so Haggai is known as the, uh, the ultra practical prophet. And he says, prophets were prodders. When the people became spiritually lazy, God raised up a man to bring them to task. Sharp-tongued Haggai was just the man for the job. The second temple had been started some 15 years earlier, but discouragement had caused the Israelites to abandon work on the project. Haggai comes on the scene and through his persistent preaching, gets the people to work again. He tells them they will never prosper at anything they do until they complete the project. Plainly in Haggai's prophecy, we see the relationship between prosperity and spiritual priorities. Haggai noted the desperation of the common wage earner. And he said, you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Then the prophet adds, give careful thought to your ways. Haggai says that if they get their priorities straight, they will experience prosperity. Now, after preaching his five short sermons, the people took up the challenge and completed the temple. The last word Haggai spoke is a beautiful promise to Israel. Speaking to Zerubbabel, symbol of the whole nation, the prophet promises that the faithful ones would be like God's signet ring. They would have authority, would be his prized possession, and would impress those that they touched. Modern believers should pray for a similar position of power. Excellent, excellent, very good. Written by my father, I appreciate that. That is excellent in the Bible. Janice? Yes, well, today, as I said off the top, I couldn't decide on what to call my segment, consider our ways, building our life, building our life on the rock. And you know what? All three of them work. And what I noticed in, in Haggai chapter one, this couple of verses sticks out to me because it's, it's, this chapter is on the command to build God's house. And God says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And I would say the very same thing to those of us. Now I'm, I'm talking right now to people who have said, yes, Jesus, I, I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you have forgiven my sins if I come in repentance to you. And I invite you to live inside of me. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I give my life over to follow you. This is who I'm speaking to today. And, and because, you know, when we do that, we don't just say, well, here's a little bit part of my heart where you can live and you can fit in with all of the other things that I do, Lord. Um, you just have this tiny little part. That's not what we do. We commit our whole heart to him. Now, that doesn't mean that God just goes in and demolishes everything. He is a gentle God and he goes in. And as we develop a relationship with him through his word, through prayer, we begin to see the areas in our life that just can't stay. And God puts the desire in our heart to actually get rid of those things. 
And he helps us to do those. Some are easier than others, but that's what a walk with God does. And when, when I was reading this, that's what it reminded me of. And I heard Rod's teaching about that. And, and it really is a way for us to look at ourselves and our lives when we give our lives to serve the Lord, when we give our lives to follow after him. There's a great scripture verse, and it's in the Bible guide on this day in reference to um, considering our ways and building God's house. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's people here were more interested in getting their own things done, getting their own houses set up, and, and not following the ways of God. Jesus reiterated that with his disciples as well. You can read it for yourself in Matthew chapter 6. It starts down in verse 25. It talks about not worrying about things. And then that's when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Then, um, you know, if you grew up in Sunday school, a lot of you will know the foolish man and the wise man who built his house here. It says in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, called build on the rock. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, Okay, so whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. It's founded on the word of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So today, let's, if we have said, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, help me today, let's give him access to our whole heart. And as we put his word into our hearts, then we will begin to live the way we're supposed to be living. We will be building our life on the rock. We will be considering God's ways, his ways before ours, because his ways are so much higher and so much better than ours. As we conclude the program today, this is very important and we need to pray. And if you wanna pray with me, please do so. I invite you to join me. I'm gonna pray for myself and for you. Father, I pray today, let my, let our hearts be stirred by your Holy Spirit. We wanna move in the right direction, Lord, and help us now in this time so that we can do so. This is very important to us. So Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name.